Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning to all of you. We're so glad that you're joining us here this morning. Good morning to all of you in Port Perry. Good evening to everyone in Bowmanville and to anyone watching us in Ontario or around the world. You're most welcome. And this is week three in our series on the Trinity. Now, let's just take a moment to remind ourselves of what we have learned and where we've come so far. There is only one God. This is the heart of the Jewish faith, and since we as Christians believe that the Christian faith is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, this is the center of our faith. Second, three things are clear about God as you read from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Let's do what we did last week. Number one, God is holy. Remember that verse out of Leviticus 19.2. Be holy, God says, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, God is holy in two senses. He is holy other, meaning he is uncreated. He is not of creation. He is not of us. He is the author of us. When there was nothing, the only thing that was there was him. He is wholly other. But second, he is wholly without sin. God cannot stand sin. The Bible says that he hates sin, and sin cannot even stand in his presence. God is such perfection and such light. Sin burns in his presence. But not just perfection and not just uncreated and not just holy, God also, amazingly, is love. So the grounding, the DNA, the essence of God is not just holy or love. He is holy love all at once. He was holy love before us. He was holy love before creation. He was holy love before time. He's holy love right now. He will be holy love tomorrow. He will be holy love forever. Now, as I shared last week, when we say God is love, we always start with us. God loves me. God loves us. God cares for us. He's going to provide for me. God's going to provide for my family. He'll, he'll overcome because God is love. Well, yes to much of that, but again, we've got to remember that God is always the starting of the conversation, not us. Don't move quickly to you before you get to him. C.S. Lewis put it this way. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words, God is love, have actual, no real meaning unless God contains at least two people. Love is something that one person has for another. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, God would have not been love. Think about it once again. Outside of time and space, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have always been, have always coexisted equally as one God. So God is love implies this profound plurality. The Father has always loved Jesus forever. Jesus has always loved the Holy Spirit forever. The Holy Spirit has always loved the Father forever. The circle is unbreakable. The dance is ongoing. So for a third time, let me just quote that famed theologian Karl Barth when he said, the doctrine of the Trinity is what basically distinguishes the Christian doctrine of God as Christian this isn't just how we talk intellectually about God. This is how we actually know God personally. This is how we as Christians know the right version of God from wrong versions of God that are invented by humans or spurred on by religion or invented by the demonic themselves. See, the Trinity is the red line between falseness and truth. 
It was a guy named C, uh, Stephen Siemens who wrote, Thus the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit remain distinct and should never be confused with one another. In their eternal face-to-face communion, they delight in the otherness of each other. Now, last week, we saw together that in creation, and you remember in, in salvation and empowerment, we see the fullness of God. All of them are from the Father, uh, through Jesus, the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in turn, we get unfettered access by the Holy Spirit through Jesus to the Father. The descent of God leads to our ascent to him. Remember we said the great lie that Adam and Eve believed was that they should and could be God. Remember the Tower of Babel story where we as humans spoke one language and we said we have the right to be God and we'll pierce the heavens by what we do. No, no. We need God to come to us so we can come back to him. So now, after two weeks of theologically reorienting ourselves and struggling with three in one and one in three, so what? I mean, what do, what do we learn? What are the amazing effects of knowing God as one God, yet Trinity? How does that affect my seeking, my skepticism, my Christian walk? What, what does it do for me personally? What does it do for our church? Well, the first and most profound thing is this. In the relationship within God, in the Trinity, we see the real source of affirmation we all deeply want at the core of us. This is when all of us need to lean in. Like, this is the moment, like, this, this is the large wanting in the human heart that is resolved. Let's go back to Jesus' baptism again for a third time. Luke 3.21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was being baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, I've stopped at this passage time and time again and unpacked it in different directions. But let me point out right now today this one last very amazing, life-changing insight. Within the relationship of the Trinity, we see where personal identity and value, human value, really come from. I want everyone today just to notice this. Where and what does God the Father say, not just about Jesus, What does God the Father say to Jesus personally? He says, you're my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. These are identity-giving statements. These are soul-affirming statements. Now, don't forget who God is. God can't lie. God doesn't exaggerate. God doesn't embellish. God is not looking for angles to manipulate or get something. He can only tell the truth. Again, it was Stephen Seaman that wrote, Jesus is declared to be the Father's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased before he begins to preach or teach or even heal. His mighty works and his laying down of his life are not motivated by some need to earn acceptance or status from his Father or to fill up anything lacking in his sense of being. Instead, listen to this, instead, They flow out of his fullness of being and rooting and sustained in his joyful, intimate love relationship with the Father. I want everyone to catch this today. Before Jesus did anything of significance, Jesus was loved already. If anyone had the right to brag, if anyone had the right to to boast, if anyone didn't need to prove anything or prove in the opposite anything to the world, it's Jesus. I mean, he's the most profound human being that has ever lived ever in history. And yet, before he does all the profound things, 
God the Father says over Jesus, you're my son, you are loved, I'm pleased with you. Oh, if you're a Christian, you hear this today. Hear the resounding song of heaven over every one of us in this generation that follows Jesus. God the Father called you because he loves you. Jesus took your place and died for you and rose for you and stands at the right hand of the Father right now. He stands in the gap for you and he prays for you. He's your brother and your king and your Lord and your master and your friend. Why? Just because he loves you. The Holy Spirit moves into you. He prays for you. He gives you Jesus' character. He assigns spiritual gifts to you. He assures you of your own physical resurrection. Why? Just because he loves you. We did nothing to earn this. Nothing, nothing, nothing. If you're a Christian, you are loved, period. And you are loved forever. This is just so true. So why, why are so many of us as Christians trying to find love in all the wrong places? If we're really truly loved by God before anything of significance happens. You're not loved more or less by God because of your age, old or young. You're not loved more or less because of gender or, or race or background or educational level or spiritual gifts. Are you beautiful? Like genuinely, are you stunning? God loves you. Are you average looking? God loves you. Are you not beautiful? Does our culture call you ugly? God loves you. Are you single? God loves you. Are, are you married? God loves you. Are you single again? God loves you. See, the love of God is wider and higher and longer and deeper than the shortcomings we've all experienced, stronger than our sin, and the cultural lines that are drawn around us to define us. The love of God does not go up and down like our lives do. When we're sick, God's love does not leave us. And our aging, as we lose beauty and body and ability, God's love does not change for us. You are loved. The love of God once spoken over your life as a Christian, once sung over you, cannot be removed or dumbed down or taken away. And so your approval, listen please, your approval, our approval must be found in his love. Our worth must be found in his love. All your striving can change. I say that and so many of you don't believe me. All your striving can change. Fear-motivated living all the versions of pride-motivated living that live within our church can and must change, can actually be replaced so you can finally rest in God the Father's love as seen in Jesus by the Spirit. Only when you understand the Trinity do you understand what God is doing and offering in us. That's why Paul wrote these amazing words in Romans 8. 38, oh, I'm convinced, I know that I know that I know that death, life, angel, demon, present, future, or any power, height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, the love of God the Father that is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. One person reflecting on the love of God and the Trinity wrote these words, this is the most beautiful moment of any creature's life. To know that one is loved personally by God. To feel one lifted into the bosom of the Trinity and find oneself in the flood of love that flows between the Father and the Son. Enfolded in their love and sharing their passionate love for the world. So when? 
So when your very foundation begins to be formed by and is flooded by God's love, when the Father's word begins to really take root in you, when his word is stronger than any family member or any person in your life, when when God the Father's statements over you are stronger than your own voice, when his word is stronger than your past, stronger than your sin, stronger than your pain, when your worth and your self-esteem is rooted and established in God's love, when his love is stronger than all your strengths, all your accomplishments, and all your failures, then and only then does the second learning from the interrelationship of the Trinity become clear to us. And not just intellectually clear for us, but we would actually be willing to go to this next step. See, not only do we see within the Trinity our soul-given value, but we see that though the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal, they submit to each other out of love. In the Trinity, we see the power of submission and the power of surrender. Jesus chose to submit to the Father for our salvation and also for God the Father's glory. Willing submission and surrender is in the DNA of God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are equal in every single way. None is more, none is less. But God does show us that the greatest power ever released in the universe is when we submit and when we sacrifice, when we truly reflect Jesus. E. Stanley Jones once powerfully wrote these words, so self-surrender, he writes, is at the very heart of God and is at the very heart of all of his attitudes and all of God's actions. When he asks us to surrender ourselves, he's asking us to fulfill the deepest thing found in himself, and thus the deepest thing in us. So here's the question today. Where do we see this submission working out from the relationship of the Trinity to each other? When we scan the scriptures, where do we see submission as the heartbeat of God's move? Well, the first is spiritual gifts. None of us functions effectively apart from the rest of us. The body of Christ is healthiest when each member is carrying out his or her unique role within the body, knowing their spiritual gifts, using their spiritual gifts, and being filled with the character of Jesus, not pride or power when we use them. Now, the biblical term that describes God's own function and our goal here is called mutual Submission. Let me use uh, the PLT, the pastoral lead team, as an example, Dave and I. Now, Dave and I have complementary roles in this church, but we're both senior leaders here. Dave and I have found our persistent practice of mutual submission and leadership to being freeing and significant and healthy, not only for our own relationship, but also for this whole church, because when we actually submit to each other out of giftedness, more gets done, and also we begin to see if we believe in it and it and demonstrate it, others will follow suit. Gifts even affect office and role. I mean, Paul believed this. I mean, we read about this in the series we just did out of 1 Corinthians. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, though one has many parts and all of its parts form one body, so it is with Jesus. Notice that the church is not seen or expressed as democracy or a dictatorship or some form of lesser anarchy. It is seen as a body that is made up of different people and gifts in mutual submission. The clear picture we find in the Bible is interdependence. Though we're all different people 
and we even have different spiritual gifts assigned by the Spirit, not assigned by us, this does not affect our fundamental unity at all. Why? Because Jesus is our unifying head. So to be with Jesus, you must be with other Christians. We're not independent actors or dependent parts. We're not like a parasite on the body. No, no, we are interdependent. One unity in plurality through gifts. God is one, yet many. We are one, yet many. Now, the second area where we see the power of submission and the reflection of the Trinity is in Christian marriage. Paul, when he was talking about unity, took some time to talk about what a Christian marriage should look like. And when he got into the conversation, he, he started with these words in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, this is so unimportant, so incredibly needed as we talk about the role of submission in a marriage. Husband and wife are equal in Jesus. Both have full access to God the Father through Jesus by the Spirit. Both have spiritual gifts assigned by the Spirit. Both are made in the image of God. Both are equally loved by God. But God in creation has given them different roles. Now, now, before we get to the role, husbands and wives, notice, are called to submit to each other. It's just like Jesus when he says, I and the Father are one. We are completely equal. We are completely unified. And yet, the Father sends the Son and the Son submits to the Father. So the same here, lean in. After value is established, and after equality is established, and after equal access is established, then Paul talks about role. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to Jesus. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Jesus is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Jesus, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Oh, and husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Oh, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives like they love their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, this passage is very uncomfortable for many of you. But this passage totally turns most of our worldviews upside down. Uh, this is not a call, by the way, for domination or abuse or to get away with. No, 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 no. No, submit to each other comes first. Abuse is never allowed in a Christian marriage. It is a violation of the vows and the covenant. It, it's just as bad as adultery or all other sins. What we see here is a call for husband and wife to honor, respect, and love each other. The passage is not about who gets to be boss, but about two people putting each other first. In another place, Paul explains what makes relationships Christian. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This principle doesn't end when you get a marriage license or a pastor says, you now may kiss the bride. No, husbands, you have a role to be the spiritual head of your household. You actually have a role that God has designed for you. 
You are to give yourself and treat yourself, treat your wife as, as, as you, as Jesus is present among you. You're to give your life to your family and your wife like Jesus gives his family life. That is the church. Yeah, you're supposed to stand in the gap for your wife. And if you have kids for your kids, you're to show Jesus to your family. That's your role. Wives, you're called to respect and support and honor your husbands. Give yourself to him as you'd give yourself to, to Jesus. And by the way, these roles don't diminish either of you, but support and build you up in Jesus. He, here's the real thing we've got to wrestle down. If Jesus' whole life was about submission, why would we think as his followers we're above such a call? It's not just gifts, though, and it's not just marriage. It actually, it's not even just about roles in marriage. It's deeper than all of this. It comes really close to home. See, full surrender and submission to Jesus like Jesus did with the Father is actually a normal Christian life. Jesus is fully God and yet fully surrendered to the Father. So the call for absolute trust and love for Jesus by us is now normal. C.S. Lewis profoundly wrote these words so long ago now. Uh, Jesus says to each of us, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I, I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. Wow. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and cut off a branch there. I don't want, no, no, I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill a tooth or, or crown it or stop it. I want to have the tooth out. Then he wrote these words, hand over your natural self. And all the desires that you think are innocent, as well as the ones you might think are wicked, give me the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. And then he writes these words, in fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall suddenly become yours. See, surrender and submission is the normal Christian life. And if we are called to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, then we actually have to reflect the one we claim as Lord. And he shows us that submission is normal. Is it easy? No. Does it go against almost everything we've been taught in our culture about rights? Yes. Does it go against almost everything we've been taught by our family or friends? Yes. Why? Because it attacks pride and fear and vanity and self-protection and our so-called rights. I, I, I literally laugh out loud when I hear people saying, well, those are my God-given rights. Why that is hilarious is almost everything we claim as a God-given right goes against submission, goes against what the Scripture teaches. The struggle is real, but that's okay. Even Jesus himself had this full-on struggle just before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, twice he cried out before God, my Father, if it's possible... Take this cup away from me, yet not as I will, but your will. In other words, your will be done. So submission and this, this interworking of the Trinity shows us where value is and, and also begins to teach us about gifts and marriage and, and a normal Christian life, but it even goes deeper. When you understand the Trinity, then you understand church. You understand why the Trinity is the heartbeat of community. Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So in other words, Jews and non-Jews are now both members of the family of God. Ethnic or prior religious background is removed. All who have been called have the same rights as children of God by one spirit uh, through one savior to one father. The church is a direct reflection of the Trinity. There's one body, one church, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, and yet though we are one, we are many. Unity and multiplicity. The church is a direct reflection of the nature and the love of God. God is not, a, is not in his DNA solitary or self-sufficient. He is one yet three, and so we are the same. There is no such thing as a solitary or self-sufficient Christian. Keep listening to what Paul writes in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 22. And in Jesus, you two are being built up together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, watch this. Now we've studied the Trinity. In God the Son, we are the dwelling place for God the Father. And God the Father is present and lives in us. How? By the Holy Spirit. That is why worship gatherings like we're involved in right now today are so incredibly important. This is why we say this around here all the time. Gathered worship is a guaranteed place of meeting God. And not just worship services, but even when we meet in connect groups. Why? Because Christians are God's literal temple. I mean, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you've received from God? What did Jesus say in Matthew? Where two or three gather, what? In my name, I am there. That is why two of our highest commitments to making fully devoted followers of Jesus at C4 are to celebrate big and connect small. Why? Because discipleship is not programs or classes, but relationally driven encounters in guaranteed places of meeting with God. Let me say that again. Some of you have just joined church. Some of you have just checked out our church. Understand why this is different than so much you've grown up with if you've done church for a while. Discipleship is not another class. Discipleship is not another program. It is relational driven encounter in guaranteed places of meeting with God. Simply put, God is one yet holy community. So connect groups and public worship is a reflection of our need for each other. God is community, so we should not be shocked that we're made for community with each other. Okay, let me break this down. (laughs) So we're loved just because God chose to love us. And we see where love comes from in the Trinity. We see the power of interdependence, We learn that mutual submission is important as we reflect Jesus to the Father and we reflect the Spirit to Jesus and the Father. And as we give ourselves fully to God without any outs or buts or rules, then suddenly we begin to see what God is really up to around the world. When we see that this church thing isn't just some organization or a social club, no, it's a literal reflection of God's DNA. Then we, when we work through all of this, are able to join God on his own mission. We get to join the Trinity in his great mission to restore and redeem the world. Mission has its origins in the heart and DNA of God. God is the original foundation and fountain of sending love. He's the deepest source of mission. Remember what we learned last week? God the Father sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in Jesus does not die, but has everlasting life. God the Father sends Jesus. And then Jesus comes to people like us and says, as I was sent, I'm now going to send you. 
Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, plural. And so the one who sent Jesus, that's the Father, then through Jesus sends us. And how are we sent? We are sent in the same power that rested on Jesus. John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you. And when he did this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. As one wrote, it is God's mission in which we are invited to participate in. The church is not so much a sending agency as a sent agency. We are sent because the triune God is the sender, the Father, the sent, the Son, and the sending, the Holy Spirit. That should take actually a lot of pressure off of all sorts of us. Because so many of us, even as Christians, think it is our responsibility to, to do this mission thing and see the whole world hear about Jesus. And No, no, no. We're just joining him where he's already working. Everyone breathe. In 1989, there was a gathering in Manila of Christians from all around the world at something called Luzon. A Chinese businessman stood up and he called the church to be more like lizards than frogs, <laughs> got everyone's attention. And this little illustration is so brilliant and so helpful for us. He said, you know, frogs just sit and they wait and they let food come to them. As soon as an insect gets close enough, all a frog needs to do is stick out its tongue and find it, catch it, and eat it. If lizards behave this way, it would starve. It can't afford to sit around and wait. It has to go into the world where food can be found and hunt. What's the point? Here's the point. We must follow God in his fullness, the Holy Trinity, on the mission he already has for the world. The world is blind and lost and in sin. The, the, the world is on its way to a Christless eternity and everyone needs salvation. And God is inviting us to join him on his mission he's already accomplishing. So here's the question today. Like, what is God truly trying to do in this moment? Well, actually, a ton. You may be inspired or confused or bored in this moment, but this is a holy moment that actually every one of us needs to lean in and listen. There's so much revelation and freedom and healing in this moment if you want it. Say, what is it, John, what's God saying? Okay, number one. Am I willing to have God's voice and God's love have more power than anything else in me or around me? Let me say some incredibly anti-North American words next. You do not need to build or create a name for yourself. You do not have to be validated by the world on social media or through education to have meaning. You already have validation if you're a Christian. You've already been given a name already. The name cannot be erased. You don't need to clamor or spend your money or time for standing, and you don't even need to protect your name out of fear. Your dignity and value is already established. You have eternal meaning already. Your dignity is given to you already because of what the Father has spoken over you through Jesus by the Spirit. So many of us just need to rest 
and stop wasting our money and our time and our energy. Pride and fear are ugly twin sisters that literally suck the life out of us. God has already said, you are my son, you are my, you are my daughter, I, I love you, I am pleased with you before you do anything. That's stronger than any mistake you've made. That's stronger than any sin you've committed. It is stronger than any success that you can claim. But why are the voices of sin and failure and success stronger than the triune God in your life? God promised, Jesus said it, do you want rest? Come to me. We are so starving as a culture for rest. And we as Christians look no different than our culture. Why? Because we actually don't believe that God actually believes in us because he loves us. You know, Paul, when he was wrestling through this issue of love, knew we wouldn't get it. And I don't know if you remember the series where we went through all of Paul's prayers, but maybe this will make sense more to you in Ephesians 3.17. And I pray, listen to this now, you get all this. And I pray that you, if you're a Christian, being rooted and established in love, it's done, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. You've got to understand this. He prays that you would, that I would, that we would in this generation understand the fullness, the triune work of God in our lives. That God the Father's election and love and God the Son's love through the cross and his standing in the spirit of God would actually form us. And that's why he prays this. He says, I've got to pray this because it's got to go beyond knowledge because you won't just get this intellectually. It has to seep into your DNA. So let's just do something uncomfortable. Let's just take a moment of silence and let the Holy Spirit speak. God, send your spirit at this moment, right now, and bring to people's minds everything that is stronger in their minds than your love. Would you begin, Lord Jesus, to undo this? Two, where is God asking you to surrender? And who is God asking you to submit to? One of the great prayers we need to all pray in this moment and later this week is, Holy Spirit, help me to surrender and submit as you do to Jesus. Jesus, help me to surrender and submit as you did with the Father. Let me, Jesus, find joy in surrender and submission. You uncomfortable right now? You feeling your insides going sideways? Are you writhing against this? It's okay. It's natural. The Bible calls it your flesh. We all have it. But in this moment, ask the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go quiet again. Ask the Holy Spirit. What area are you asking me to surrender or sacrifice? Who are you asking me to submit to? Are you not submitting to your parents and you need to? Or your teachers? Actually, are you in a marriage and it is a Christian marriage, but you're not mutually submitting to each other? 
or they're pastors or leaders that you don't like and you're not submitting, like this is the moment where you learn what it's like to be like Christ. We all do. So let's just take a moment again. Holy Spirit, what area are you asking me to surrender? Who do you want me to submit to? Lord, would you give ability that is unnatural to do this? Here's the third question. Where is God asking me to be more like a lizard and not like a frog? Where is God whispering for you personally, for us together to join him, that is the Trinity, to work and redeem this broken, screwed up world? Oh, oh church, don't fear. He's already there waiting for us to join him, to speak to that person you know you're called to speak to, to step into that situation you're called to step into, the, 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 the situation you're supposed to leave and go into a new one. God's already in control. The table's already set. He's just asking you to join him. So ask him, have the courage. Who's the person I'm supposed to talk to about Jesus? What am I supposed to leave and go to next? You say you're already there and I'm just joining your mission. Where do you want me to join you? Maybe it's a ministry in this church or outside. Just ask. Would you? Holy Spirit, speak. Help us to obey. For three weeks, we have had the incredible privilege of opening God's word and finding out who God is in his fullness, that he is one God, yet three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit always takes us to Jesus. Jesus always takes us to the Father, and we see who God is, perfect love, perfect mutual forever dance, the one God who loves us and redeems us. And why does this matter? Because like I said last week, we know his name, and to worship him and to love him and walk with him, we must know him in his revealed fullness. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. So to worship him right, we must think right. To worship him right, we must understand him right. And we must lift him up. Like I said, and I think it was only at the second service at this site last week, so I want to say it for the whole community. If you only end up with Jesus, you're in trouble. When's the last time you thought a pastor would say that to you? Jesus is here to take you to the Father. If you only like hanging out with the Spirit, you're in trouble because the Holy Spirit is to take you to Jesus. And so now, in all, of our, in all of our worth and identity, everything that we are, we need to come and we need to worship Him. We need to respond to Him. I love this old hymn, and I'll end this whole series with these words. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, Early in the morning, our, our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Would you just stand this morning, wherever you are today? Would you just stand? And as we get ready to respond, let me just pray. Father, thank you. 
that you're the fountainhead of creation and, and you are loving and kind. Uh, Holy Jesus, thank you that you're our Savior and our Lord and our Redeemer and our friend and our great high priest. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the breath of God, that you are a comforter, that you are with us, that you assure us of resurrection, that you allow us to live an empowered life beyond our broken selves. Thank you, God, that you are one. Thank you, God, that you are our community. Would you begin to work out the implications of who you are among us? We just ask this now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we all said together, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.